Hey friends, in today's Ask Drew and Lacey, we talked to Erica and Bart about their new homestead. They just moved to some family land, 19 acres, and they had some really great questions about how to get started the most effective way and just getting that infrastructure set up to meet their needs today and into the future. We talked everything from planting trees and guilds to planting your vegetable garden and on to what is the best kind of four-legged creature to get milk from for their particular homestead. So have a listen and let us know your thoughts. Um, And if you're interested in doing an Ask Drew and Lacey interview, reach out. We would love to chat with you too. Hey friends. Welcome to The Schoolhouse Life, where we answer your pressing questions and share useful tools for creating your most fulfilling, self-sufficient family homestead. We go back to basics in all things family, faith, and farming, and we're eager to teach you what we've learned, everything from growing a garden to earning an income to living a less toxic and more nature-based lifestyle. We're thrilled you're here and hope you leave inspired to live your life as a schoolhouse too. So our first question is, how do you define homesteader? Oh, Oh, this is a good question. I feel like I, I, I feel like I clearly have an idea, but really for me, homesteader is just somebody who's like back to basics and who does all of the farming kind of stuff without really focusing on a profit so much. It's more just about like, for like self-sufficiency reasons for the family and meeting the needs of the home. That's how I tend to think of like homestead versus farm. Cause I feel like people use those kind of interchangeably, but I don't know. What do you yeah, I think a homestead the same is like it's got to be your main goal is more providing food and quality of life mm-hmm. to your family than yeah, absolutely. than it being profit driven. Mm-hmm. I don't think that a homestead can't be profit driven. It's just maybe like one of the priorities mm-hmm. is making an income, but also supporting your whole family and lifestyle and, you know, just having a better way of life. Yeah. When I think about La Homestead, it's more like a landing place, like a place where everybody's nurtured versus like where your, 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 your goal is like put out things, which I tend to think of a farm as like the goal is to, to have resources to give to the rest of the community. Whereas not that you wouldn't, but like Drew said, it's more about first and foremost, building that nurturing space for the family. But I don't know. I love the idea of you guys being on this family family land that has been in the, the home for generations because a lot of that energy is probably already there and you're just going to be building on it already. That's very exciting. So would you guys consider yourselves homesteaders or farmers? Well, I guess we're wondering when we get to say we qualify as homesteaders. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, you already do. You have chicken. Okay. <laughs> Even in the city, I think it doesn't matter how much property you have because you can do so much. I mean, there's some people that I look up to that have far less property than we do that are living far more sustainably and self-sufficiently than, than yeah. we will probably for years to come, just because sometimes that smaller amount of property is way easier to manage and, and make work for you. Cause sometimes not to, I think always actually that those larger amounts of property can be really distracting. So then you're starting to deal with like, you're talking about having woods on your property and then just the two acres that are clear you start thinking about, okay, well, how do I make more cleared area? And then it's like, you know, you're pulled in all these different directions when you have more property. Whereas on a quarter of an acre or even less is what we've moved from on an urban homestead, you can just get so much done. I mean, we had enough that we produced for our family, but then we also had an abundance that we could sell at farmer's markets, even in that small of a spot. So, so yeah, I think, I don't know. Does that answer the question? <laughs> it does. And it actually leads to my second question really well. 
Okay. So how do you keep everything as simple as possible? Because that was the first thing that went through my mind is I don't want to say yes to anything unless we have put it through the filter of, is this the simplest way? Mm. Because I'm thinking we could wind up in way over our heads if we just go, oh, it's big. We can just put everything in. Right. (laughs) So I I want to answer this one first. I know you do. Um, (laughs) So my big thing is holistic context. So meaning that what do you like before you do anything, before you agree to anything, have a family meeting, whoever is making the decisions, you know, even if it's like outside of your family, but and start talking about what do you want your property to look like? And that's like physically, spiritually, mentally, all of those and really define that down. And then what kind of behaviors will be on the property based off of how you want it to look. And when you start looking at those kind of things and how do you want it to feel and you kind of like narrow it down, that's basically your holistic context. Now, anytime you're going to make a decision, you're going to put it against that. And, you know, it can be like Lacey and I, a lot of times we do it on the fly, just kind of in our head. That's how we are. Some people will actually sit down and look at their holistic context on paper. Mm. But when you do that for each decision, then it'll really help you make sure that your homestead develops in a way that you're going to be happy with. Mm. Because ultimately, like we were just talking a little bit ago about like chickens, like do you want a thousand broilers? Like that sounds like a nightmare to me, you know, like, and so like, that's not part of our holistic context at all. So we don't do that. We want to be able to go out of town sometimes. So we have systems and processes in order so that we can do that. We also, yeah, I think too, like we know that we don't, our goal is more education based and more, you know, reaching out to people like you who want to do it for themselves, helping them get started and tight and biting off chunks that they can, but, and not so much in the production of, of like we were talking about farming, you know, we don't want to make enough chickens for our entire community. We want enough for our family to have a wholesome and maybe a little bit extra. But the other thing is like, you can weigh almost everything you do against this. So it's not just, you know, what you're growing or what you, how big your garden is. It also is, you know, what activities are you going to sign your children up for, right? Because that can be a huge element. Any, any minute you take that you leave your property is taking away from what you have going on. And is that really what you want to do? Or maybe you scale your homestead to meet those other extracurricular things that are more important for you, right? So each person gets to decide, each family gets to decide those things. And it's really important. I think this is one of the things that sometimes as homesteaders, we tend to get really like DIY happy, right? <laughs> We're just like, well, we can, so we should, right? But sometimes it really is better for that that overall feel that you want to to really let things go and and take help where you can and find that community so that you can work together on things and learn from each other and instead of starting from scratch which sounds so honorable start from not scratch right like let somebody else you know share with you the best route to take or you know even the tools you know you don't have to buy all of the garden tools you can have friends that have a broad fork and borrow it for the weekend, right? Like there's just a lot of different ways that you can skip doing it all yourself, which is I think alluring because when you think self-sufficiency, that sounds like that's what you have to do. Okay, I need to have all the tools in my tool shed, right? But the truth is you just need to know where all the tool sheds are and <laughs> how to share, right? How to get to them. <laughs> yeah, exactly. our thing is you, self-sufficiency requires community. It so does. like, yeah, which is like- It's probably the most important when you're first starting because you guys just moved. I don't know how far you moved. Are you far away from where you were or? 
Yeah, I mean, at least 60 miles. So we're, we're, we're a ways away, and so we, we don't know many people in the area. So I mean, it's great that, to hear that obviously community is important for homesteading and for su- surviving, right? I mean, even for <laughs> yeah. succeeding really is, is to right. know people around. And, and so that, that should, I guess, maybe that should be one of our first steps, right, to, to keep yeah. things simple in a way is to find the community around. Every, everybody around here seems to be, you know, I don't know if they're all homesteaders, but they're definitely all, they have property and they're doing different things. And we've heard that, you know, go over to this, these people for sheep or go to these people for cows, you know, that type sort of thing. So they're, they're in the area. They are, we are in kind of the heart of farm country here yeah. for this area. Cause when I looked it up, that's, it's, we are like really surrounded by farms, which I don't feel driven toward <laughs> or even <laughs> close to ready. Yeah. Um, that'll help. Cause they'll understand that. Yeah. Yeah. And I will say too, you, like a lot of, it depends on who you're talking. I'm sure you'll find other people who are sort of more on your wavelength and learning from people who are doing it differently is good, but also recognizing that, you know, that farmer has 95 cows and milks them at 6am every day, twice a day, again, in the evening, you know, like that's just not what we want. It's okay to learn what not to do from these people as much as it is to learn what you do want to do. And, and understanding that there is like a whole new wave of people who are stepping in and they're like, homesteader minded over farm minded and there is a difference i think because you don't have to take out you know hundreds of thousand dollars in loans to prep your land to grow a harvest that may or may not you know require subsidies you know like there's a system of farming that we're all kind of i think trying to move away from and and understanding what you're looking for but yeah i think that securing that network of people that are like-minded maybe not like-minded but that share resources and pool resources that's going to be so valuable and set you up for major success. And okay. then at the same time, be able to give you the space to look at your property and really evaluate it. When we're coaching clients with their properties and how to develop and actually mapping it out, we really say, okay, just sit and watch, you know, where does the sun rise? Where does the water fall? Where does it pool? Where does it run? You know, and really watching for these different things that are happening so that then when you set up your infrastructure and your systems on your farm, whether it's a garden or a pond or something else that you want to put in, you know, okay, well, the water comes from that way. So this is going to be the right place to build a dam wall so that that water will pool here or whatever the situation is. Being able to take a step back and really just embrace that time of observation and not like, you know, just trudging forward for the sake of trudging forward is going to give you this really stable foundation that you'll be more satisfied probably in the long run. It's probably one of the biggest challenges, but do it like the permaculture principle is like basically the first year, like don't do anything on the property, Mm -hmm. like observe only. So Mm -hmm. um, that's really, which is a big thing to do, but like, like Lacey was saying, really kind of paying attention and planning, but Mm -hmm. holding yourself back from, major infrastructure right and talking to those other people in the area about you know what the weather is like and what to watch for maybe even learning some of the pests and things that you might have to deal with is really a big just just that's the best learning you can really be doing well that's great so i mean there is a local i think it's a co-op right so kind of a co-op down down the street in, in town the farm stand? Yeah, it's kind of a farm stand. It looks so, awesome. It looks great. We haven't been there yet, right? And maybe because of COVID, maybe just having that time, right? It's hard to get out from our house. <laughs> yeah. Beyond beyond like this uh, farm stand slash co-op, I mean, are, are, do you have any other advice for, for meeting local people, like-minded people? I mean, if you drive around, see what people got going on in their front or backyards. And, <laughs> I mean, how do you, 
Yeah, how do you, um, you know, (laughs) we've met a lot of people like we started a farmer mastermind here, which is just like once a month, Mm -hmm. people get together and we just talk about what's going on on our farms and, you know, kind of just a collective brain power. Um, and farmer mastermind just rolls off the tongue a little better than homesteader mastermind. Yeah. So there's not like, you don't have to be a farmer to come. There's a lot of people who come and just are gardeners and not, you know. But we just put it like, I just got in all the like homesteading and regenerative ag and permaculture groups and just started saying, Hey, we're having this. If you're in our area, come. Mm -hmm. A lot of that was on Facebook. Yeah. Um, But there are other resources like Nextdoor. I don't know if you have Nextdoor is a great way to kind of find people that are specific to your location too. So that can be another great tool. But I would say just put it out there and some people will show up and Mm -hmm. some might come again and some might not, you know, Mm -hmm. and like, that's fine but like we've got a great group of probably like five or six Mm -hmm. families now that yeah yeah it's like gone around to gardens and looked at everybody's garden yeah um just kind of talk about what our goals are what's not working what is working and that kind of thing and that can that's the best we've learned so much from that group just because people are like oh i tried this and it worked really well we learned about turmeric it's funny though because i mean we've lived in this area for 17 years now Mm -hmm. and these are all people that we had never met before for the most part, except for one family. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's like being new transplants. Mm-hmm. I would say just, you know, pick up the torch and start a group, you know, start to start to get together of some kind. <laughs> yeah. You'd be surprised. People are really excited when somebody is willing to like, just take the first step in that direction, you know? And I think at the farm stand, it might be a good place to say, Hey, is there anything like this going on? Or, you know, do you know anybody who's connected that's like just starting out or has a few years experience? I mean, I think asking those questions is really valuable and you'd be surprised who you'll meet and find just like searching for the local, like organic honey producer, right. might be the best place to start. Right. Or if you're interested in keeping bees, of course, or if you're interested in, I don't know, I'm trying to think of other things people produce, milk, raw dairy, you might want to look for somebody that does raw dairy. That usually is a good connection in the area because they have to, in our area, you have to sell direct to consumer to do that. You can't, you can't go through a store. So they would know a lot of people. So those are some thoughts. You touched on needing to watch the land for a year. My notes timed out. We've only been here three weeks and have seen a couple of really good windstorms, like gale force wind. Wow. Do you have any tips for soil erosion control, like in garden spaces specifically? We have an area in the front that's mostly trees, but some blueberry bushes. And at first I thought, oh, it just needs to be re-beauty barked because the beauty bark has broken down. Didn't really think about it until we saw how windy it was. I started to realize it may have just blown away. <laughs> oh my goodness. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Well, so that is a for real issue. We don't deal with it as much here because we're kind of in the Piedmont. So the, the winds don't generally get too heavy. But I would say that the main thing for wind generally is building hedgerows and planting trees in a in a way or or even blueberry bushes or something in a place where that wind is coming towards you just to be a barrier and it could be you know a hedge of hawthorns or osage orange or i mean there's a lot of options that would yeah. grow pretty quickly and fill in nicely to help prevent that those gusts from coming in but i would start planting a hedgerow that includes other kinds of edibles like you know whether it's I don't know what grows super well. I would imagine 
you can grow apples pretty well and other fruit trees in that region. So that's probably where I would start. And the, the cool thing too, is if you've already observed that you can already sort of start to say, all right, well, so we need a barrier here. If the sun is coming and hitting and this, this is somewhere in this area, we're going to have to grow our garden, our annual garden, and we're going to need a protector for that. So start thinking what's well, not going to block out the sun. Where's the wind coming from and, and what grows well in your area and just start making lists of fruit trees that are appealing to you, things that you like to eat and getting those in the ground the soonest is the best place to start. So those kinds of infrastructures are better to start with because they take longer to get established. But once they are established, give you more production for less work. So that's actually a really good place to start when, it, when you're talking about planning the sort of overall feel of your homestead. Yeah, the... A lot of people go out first and plant like the annual garden, you know, but like I would almost challenge you, like, especially in the first year, like hold back on that, maybe plant some stuff in containers, but yeah, really get Mm -hmm. that. Get your overall structure. We've moved our garden beds like three or four times because we didn't wait. Right. Yeah. (laughs) And um, there's nothing worse than starting your garden beds over again because you just don't realize how much fertility you build over the years. And then to rearrange is just, you you start from scratch and that's the hardest work is starting but like we've started in the past couple of years now we've got enough perennials started though like in the morning during the spring like Mm -hmm. you can literally go out and just eat handful after handful of different berries and things you know like that really have no input anymore you know like we're just they're just growing and doing their own thing now so Mm -hmm. that's that's super super nice to have and then i was going to say on the wind like i would really observe in your area what grows natively there mm-hmm. you know and really kind of like look in the wild areas like what is what is naturally blocking that wind what naturally mm-hmm. likes what can grow in that yeah. kind of wind cuz those you know over here on the coast we have like specific kinds of oak trees that grow really well, right, even yeah. with the wind. They grow very short, but they do very, they hold the dunes in place and that kind of thing. So, so a lot of that kind of structure will help to keep that blowing away of whether it's topsoil or whether it's, um, whether it's the mulch or whatever. But the, the other thing I would say too, is don't till. So <laughs> that's a hard thing to, to do, but especially with that wind pressure, you're just going to lose a lot of fertility if you till. So the best thing is going to be to just build up the soil with heavy mulch. And I would think the wetter the mulch, the better, because it'll blow less, but maybe there are other kinds of mulch you could use. <laughs> Uh-oh, you had a look. What's the... <laughs> oh, I was trying to get him sold on the idea of signing up for chip drop. It's the, like when they cut out on the trees and it's not real clean and pretty, but it's free and you get a lot of it yeah 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 we actually we actually pay a tree guy like forty dollars a load to come out here and just drop it whenever we can Mm -hmm. chip drop in our area we're signed up for it and we've never gotten the only thing that works is if we see somebody Mm -hmm. mulching trees and we say hey just drop that at our house then that works but Yeah. yeah people don't drive out to country to give us those but yeah pick a spot where you want that and you can let it sit for a while you know and kind of compost getting better yeah yeah Mm. and then there's a there's a local farm here where the guy has a deal with a tree service that's a friend of his where they drop it off and then he resells it for like twenty dollars a load so you know there's like a little side income (laughs) If if you've got the space for it you know tree people are always looking for a place to drop it Yeah, but mulch is a really good tool for the for the homestead. It reduces weeding, it improves soil fertility. I mean, there's just a lot of a lot of reasons. But when you till up that soil, immediately what's gonna happen? The wind will blow a lot of the topsoil away, the water will wash it away, and the nitrogen all comes to the surface and then it, it releases. And so then 
you might have a good crop the first year, but the next year you've lost all of that nutrient because it's been washed or, or evaporated away. So your best bet is to plant really directly in the, the ground the way it is or to add layers of, of protection just for the weed, like mulch or, com- or compost or cardboard even is a really good option. Wet, heavy cardboard is a really great way to build up your soil. And we've got we a-, have a little bit of that. <laughs> yeah. We just moved. We got a few boxes. Yeah, right. right? There yeah. you go. Don't, you don't burn throw that away. Use that to just lay it out and then you can mulch over it and you know sort of hide it and make sure it's really damp as much as you can and that will that compost very quickly and kills the weeds at the same time so it's a really great tool cool well, it sounds like if we have a decent idea about the wind and maybe some i don't know um idea of some of the layout we should break that first year rule and, and start planting some hedgerows or some yeah, trees I have, yeah i think that's ex- i would start there because those things you'll always regret not having planted fruit trees earlier right like that's how we feel but plan for water because you do want to make sure that they get well established with really deep, deep root growth so do a real do a little bit of research in the right ways to plant those trees and get them well established and you know the truth be told about fruit trees if they're doing really well even down the road it's not easy to move them but you can if it comes to that but yeah i would i would focus on getting that hedgerow where the wind is coming in my, my sure. biggest takeaway i've learned is a square hole not a round hole square hole do you guys know that or, okay no. so uh, what's your soil like? Are you like clay soil? Yeah, it's kind of like a clay soil. Yeah. Here. yeah. Sandy or no, no good drainage. Mm-hmm. It looks like where it's blown away. It looks like desert. It's cracked, and <laughs> you can see all the roots for the plants right at the surface. Yeah, I think it's pretty clay. We're we're kind of up above the valley, and then down below uh, where we are, I think it's a lot of peat soil uh, down yeah. below, but but not up where we're at. So I think it's uh, a lot of clay. Maybe yeah, so, so with the clay, if you dig a, your traditional round hole, it actually like make we have just like solid clay here. Mm-hmm. It actually makes like a bowl that the tree roots actually start wrapping around and will strangle themselves over mm-hmm. the years. But if you do square, then the corners actually allow a spot for the roots to get out. Mm-hmm. So. And I also, it sounds like since it was farmlands in the past, right? Um, a lot of the topsoil that was probably there 100 years ago is gone. And so I would think that one of the best things you could do too um, in that waiting period is um, get some seeds that just a cover crop of things that grow really well in your area, whether it's grasses or wildflowers or something that's going to be able to kind of hold into that soil that doesn't that's cracked and kind of not really green at this point to help build up a cover of living mulch that's going to just increase fertility and help with the wash off and hold that water on your property. Because the, we somebody recently shared a picture. I thought this was really interesting. And it was a picture of a pond. Who was it that shared that? And then, oh, Drew was telling me. I was from telling his, you, you about, about yeah. yeah. A picture of a pond and then a picture of a, a really nicely grown field with like very high grasses and things growing. And the question was, which do you think is holding more water? And the truth is the root system of those beautiful kind of prairie grasses and such hold more water than just a straight pond. So we can't see what they're doing below the surface, but they're creating just this fertility and life down there that that just changes the overall ecosystem of your land. So that simple thing, doing that on that area that's really dried and cracked right now could just add years and years of more fertility on your property. So trying to reestablish that topsoil, it'll do a lot of the work for you. I was going to say kind of like, just kind of add this mantra to your head that bare soil is bad. <laughs> it's <laughs> like, not natural. Like most yeah, of nature does not have You bare want soil. like, what, yeah, yeah, when you look at nature, there's not bare soil. So yeah. just in the same way, like 
think of ways to cover it up. You know, it can be mulch, top or a cover crop is going to produce some kind of, get some photosynthesis going and right. actually, you know, feed the soil biome. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot you can do that way to, you know, stop that erosion. Even just having grasses growing on it will stop yeah. the erosion a lot. Yeah, and you can get grasses you don't have to mow. And, and mowing is kind of one of those things that it feels good because you have this nice, neat and tidy look, but it's not natural either, right? Like that's just not how nature works. So resisting some of the urges to keep your property looking pristine like a neighborhood lawn will help you in the long run to just build that fertility and let yourself be like live wild, right? Like just let it go wild and enjoy what that is because... I think you'll be surprised what will emerge and the, and the abundance that is there already probably will present itself in a surprising way. Clover is a really good one to mm -hmm. plant. Like if it grows good in your area, mm -hmm. just start replacing your yard with clover. Mm -hmm. It's good for the honeybees. Mm -hmm. It's good for erosion. It adds nitrogen to the soil. Yeah. And if you do red clover, you can actually use it's it medicinal for too. Yeah. needs. Yeah. So there's a lot, a lot, just kind of start researching some of the native grasses in your area. Mm -hmm. What else? You guys got any more questions? <laughs> sure do. <laughs> All right. Hit us up. Okay. So you just keep like, it's like, you know what my notes are. We were thinking about fruit trees because we heard the best time to plant them is yesterday. And <laughs> everybody says, plant them in the winter. I, my best friend has farmed. And so she said, get bare root in the winter because they're the cheapest. Mm -hmm. And my biggest concern is my only experience with fruit trees has been that they're buggy. And so when I try to figure out how to keep them healthy, everything I read online makes it all sound so complicated that I figure if I decide to do this, I will do nothing else with my life, <laughs> but be on this schedule of, so do you have tips for how to keep the maintaining of the health of the tree simple? I think the first thing is there's a really good book called The Holistic Orchard mm -hmm. that's 100% organic, holistic. That being said... We'll put a link to that in our show notes yeah. and make sure you get a link Yeah. Too. That being right. said, it's a very complicated and lengthy system that is like... <laughs> that I, we don't really... I, when I first read it, I added all the like things into my calendar and I still get those reminders and I'm like, oh, I'm not doing that. Because it's like, it's very often... But, but listen, okay, he's doing the orchard as a living. So like when you look, yeah. when you change your mindset about it a little bit, I think it helps because every fruit is not going to be farm or, or farmer's market ready. Right? Yeah, that's what I was going to say. So there's also kind of a rule in permaculture of thirds. So, you know, it, if you think of what you plant as a third, you're going to get a third for the wildlife. And we always joke because we're like, what's the other third? Um, but in a, in a third for the bugs, the worms. Yeah. yeah, you know, so like, like Lacey said, like be okay with not picture perfect fruit. And what we found over the years is, um, one is fruit tree guilds. So that's a permaculture thing. Are you guys familiar with that at all? The fruit tree guilds? I haven't. Yeah. Okay. So it's like you grow, it's like replicating nature. So you don't see a fruit tree standing in a field by itself, right? Mm -hmm. It's got mm -hmm. like things growing below it. So every layer, like the vining layer, the shrub layer, mm -hmm. the ground cover, ferns, mm -hmm. all of those things grow in harmony with each other. But they also like the, we grow asparagus and garlic at the base of ours. And asparagus, and peppermint. Yeah, asparagus um, attracts beneficial wasps that'll eat a lot of the larva mm -hmm. on a fruit tree. Oh. And then the garlic keeps away 
theoretically keeps away the deer. We need more garlic. Right? <laughs> so, and then like stinging nettle is another good one that brings up a lot of minerals from below the earth that then when it drops its leaves, it's bioavailable for the fruit tree. Um, and then, or we yeah. have comfrey, which actually its taproot can go up to like 13 feet or something ridiculous. So it can get all the way down deep into the to the earth and draw up micronutrients that otherwise they wouldn't get access to. I mean, there's a lot of different ways that these things all work together. And it's about building diversity while also making everything healthier, right? And I, I mean, we I teach holistic health too. And when you're talking about a, whole, a healthy body, that means sort of as much bacteria and like life kind of going on in our body all the time. So we tend to think sterility is better. And we have this like vision of what a, a healthy orchard looks like and it's perfectly mown and they're each like these perfectly shaped trees, right? But that's not what vitality looks like. Vitality looks like, you know, kind of mayhem that and chaos that we can't really understand, but that is a very well established system created by somebody who's much more genius than us, right? Like, so we want to in, in, embrace all of that diversity. And a guild is just a perfect example of how we can kind of mimic nature and and then also leave space for nature to kind of do its thing the way that it would it would do without us. So I would focus on like two or three trees and not do too many, but really focus on not just the tree, but what are you going to plant around it? What else are you going to have as a part of that ecosystem? So you don't have to mow up to it. You don't have to worry about grasses growing around and kind of choking it out. And, and you have tools that are also helping to sink water there. So they're, they're keeping well watered around the base of that tree. I and think comfrey is like simple, probably the most important guild plant. Like mm -hmm. when you put that there, it also, like Lacey was saying, naturally mulches. Mm -hmm. So once it gets established, it's keeping all the grass away from the tree. But because its root goes straight down deep, it's not competing mm -hmm. for nutrients from the tree. Because fruit tree roots are only like about that deep. So it's like this kind of symbiotic relationship. But once you get comfrey established, like you can add other things, but that's, I, I would start. Yeah, yeah, I would start with and that. And it's so easy. You can't, you'd have to really try hard to kill comfrey. <laughs> yeah. So it's nice to have success right out of the gate. <laughs> so start with comfrey. But I think to answer your question, then the, overall the tree becomes healthier mm -hmm. and it's able to fight off pests more. Mm -hmm. It's just like the human body, same thing. Like mm -hmm. when, you know, when you have that diversity in your biome, then you fight off disease better. Mm -hmm. So the same will be the case with the trees. Mm -hmm. Not saying, sense. not saying that you don't get any bugs, but it's less bugs. <laughs> I just was thinking like we had an apple tree at our last house and there was just no getting an apple. Yeah. That wasn't yeah. Funny. yeah. And that, you know, it was, they were so unhealthy, then they just fall off buggy and gross, and it was just something to clean up. It wasn't, I mean, it was pretty. <laughs> right. Yeah. But <laughs> yeah. I don't really want to keep fruit trees just to look at them. So. Right, right. Well, and I will say, too, that, that, I mean, that's a, like, one unique experience. And we had in our urban environment, we had an apple tree that was there that we had to, I mean, it was a bush when we moved in, like a 30-foot bush, and we didn't even realize it was an apple tree. And we had, we cut like branches and brand hacked away at that thing. And when we left, we were getting apples like crazy off of it. So, I mean, you, you, it's hard to say, you know, like one bad experience where this isolated tree incident, maybe it was just planted in a really bad place. And we've lost a lot of trees that we've planted too. I don't even account how many hundreds of dollars we've lost, <laughs> but for the ones that worked, it was worth the investment of trying. Right. 
So, so just, I would say, don't let that one experience be your guide, (laughs) right? Because it's not, it's not necessarily a a good example of what can happen. I was going to add too, like, I would start looking at native varieties, varieties of not just apple trees, but of fruits and berries Mm -hmm. in general, you know, like apple, like we all tend to go to apple trees, but there's a lot of fruits out there and Mm -hmm. especially native ones can deal with pests and yeah, all that better. So, you know, make it a goal of like 10 berry species, you know, those, those grow quick mm-hmm. and easily. And like for us, persimmons are a tree that grow really easily yeah. and pawpaws are native for us. So there's a lot of trees that, and some of the peaches do better than others and, and apples. There are some varieties that do okay here, but they're never going to thrive like they do even just an hour north of us because we're just, mm-hmm. our, our climate is just not right. So yeah, being willing to kind of accept that it's going to, you know, it's a mastery over time that, that just comes when you try. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but you don't have to spend all your time on fruit trees. I promise it won't be that consuming. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, I have one left field one for you. Right. It just doesn't seem right if we don't ask. Okay. Go for it. Sheep or goats? <laughs> oh, <laughs> man. Sheep. Okay. Yeah. End of interview. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, you know, I've kind of personally thought sheep, but then, I keep getting the goat people are very vocal. They are goats. like goats, right? <laughs> so I think I would start it back to your holistic context. Right. What you know? What's your goal? I yeah. want milk, butter, and yogurt. Oh well, then sheep are not a good choice. Well, you could. There <laughs> okay. are you know you could milk sheep. We I feel like they're not as efficient as goats would be. But you know you just also have to remember like there are there are pros and cons to both sides and. You know, we had goats when we first moved here because we had to get some brush cleared out. We never could have done it with sheep, not effectively. And the goats did a really good job of it. And then when they were done, we were done with them because they are happy when there's brush and things to climb and like, you know, make a mess of what they're really cleaning. But then when they're done with that, they just try to get out of fences. Like that's their goal in life. So, you know, you have to choose, like, is that what, do you want to fight the goats who are just constantly trying to get out? And now the sheep can maintain those areas and we want wool, we want meat. Those are our, our goals for the, the sheep. And we are, our friends live down the street and we get our milk from them because they have cows, right? So we don't have the part with the milk meat. But if that was a need and we did milk our goats when we had them and it was really nice, fresh, good, delicious milk, but it was a lot of work and it was we just decided yeah this isn't what we want to do (laughs) and i will say like have you ruled out like a dairy cow Hmm. yes the main reason is that i can't have cow milk oh Oh, okay so i thought well i when we were living in the city i would just go to the specialty whole food type store and pay out the nose for butter so i could have goat butter but it was eight dollars a block and i'm thinking now where we are here we could have a couple, either goats or sheep, but it's mostly grass. So I thought maybe goats wouldn't do as well with it. I think they definitely like some forbs more than sheep. And there are sheep, we haven't explored it because it hasn't been something we've wanted to do, but there are sheep breeds that you can milk. I mean, that Mm -hmm. are, you know, milking breeds. So maybe look at that a little bit and just see like there's a crossover option. Yeah, like what the yield is is would be my biggest question. Like if you get like a full dairy goat breed, I mean, you can get a substantial amount of milk from them. And I just kind of wonder, I don't know honestly with sheep like if there's a comparable breed for okay. 
for milking. In Europe, they do a lot more. Sheep milk over there is much more popular than in the United States. So I know it's possible. I just, we have not really investigated it at all. Yeah. So yeah, you should. That sounds fun. But <laughs> I will say like, if you're going to do goats, like you'll really need like substantial fencing. Yeah. Uh, or like, or you'll be spending a lot of time trying to get them back in fences, which is like, I mean, like everybody, I know when people, when we were looking at it, people were, were telling us that we were like, oh, that's not true. We'll get it. But <laughs> It's, no, I believe it. I yeah. believe it. Yeah. It's just kind of what you want to do. I kind of liked milking goats. It was just kind of one of those things that over the time, it, like Lacey said, our friends got dairy cows and we were like, why are we doing this? Let's, we can spend <laughs> we our get time. a quart a day and then they give us three gallons a day, yeah. right? Like, so it's, yeah. it just, yeah, it wasn't making sense anymore. But they, you can get a production out of goats. It's very, if you spend a lot of time doing it and that's what you want to do. And not even a lot of time. I mean, I feel like I'm, saying things that aren't necessarily accurate. It's just, if that's what you want to do, you can for sure figure it out. And that, if that's what you want, and that makes a ton of sense to me that if you have a need for milk that you can actually consume, then, you know, if one of us needed that, then we would have stuck with it. I will say like, this is not a joke either, but I was just reading about water buffalo and <laughs> <laughs> I said, it's not a joke. <laughs> okay, we're not laughing. I'm not. I've already heard that. That's why I'm laughing. The, they are a really, like, there's more people in the United States that are starting to do water buffalo now. And their, their milk, like, people that are allergic to cow milk can consume their milk. And it's actually, like, a higher protein, higher butter. So, I mean, with 19 acres, mm -hmm. you could do one or two of them. So yeah. They need water access, though. So, yeah. you have to. If you don't have it already, but yeah. If you do that, we're coming to visit. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> That's Non-traditional. Well, that would be, we yeah. probably might be the only people in the area that have them. Yeah. There's, um. That'll get your, your neighborhood talking. They'll be like, what? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you see those people from the city with the water buffalo? <laughs> the water buffalo, yeah. <laughs> I'm trying to think. There's other animals that have milk sources too. Uh, I'm trying to think what else, but I don't know. But yeah, I mean, I would explore that and just kind of really decide. Yeah. The big thing with goats is going to be just, you will have to have like electric on your fences. Mm -hmm. That yeah. makes me keep wanting to go back to sheep because I think they're probably not as bright, which might be, isn't as attractive to people because they're just kind of there. Uh, but yeah, I, I don't want to worry about them. Yeah. <laughs> What's that? Yeah. That's our, that's our pro. I like that they're dumb and they just, you know, <laughs> they follow each other. They don't so, ask questions. Yeah. They don't get their horns stuck in the fence relentlessly. Yeah. Yeah. When you guys get to that point, you'll have to reach back out to us because I can help you. Like the big thing then will be like planning your grazing and, you know, really having, I was just talking to somebody today where he was, he met with a farm where they had like three, three pairs of sheep on like 10 and a half acres. And after he was done helping them with their plan. So six sheep? Yeah. He was, it was like mom, you or mom, lamb, pair, you lamb. After he was done with the plan, he was able to like five times the amount of sheep on that property. So now they've gone from like just barely having enough to eat to they'll be able to sell some also. So, and I would say, you know, for any of the livestock, your best case scenario is to set up that infrastructure ahead of time so that you know, okay, this is where we're going to, how we're going to move them around so that, you know, they're not causing too much damage. Do we want to have a lot that's just like a, 
a safety lot, like a dry lot where they just go if they, we want to make sure they're not going to get out, which you can do with goats, right? You can make a like structure, more structured area. And the truth is, as long as they're busy, as long as they have stuff to explore within the, within the frames, the constraints of their fencing, then they're not as bad, but you just have to be on the ball about keeping that moving and, and kind of staying one step ahead of them. And the sheep are a little less likely to get antsy. They'll kind of just wait. They're like, are we waiting again? Uh, yeah. But our neighbor, like across this, uh, across the driveway, I guess. Yeah. She uh, brings her goats out every morning, like, and walks them. Like Heidi style. Yeah. Adorable. Stands there with like a staff <laughs> and watches them graze in the front she yard. So, you could do that. That could <laughs> yeah. be a part of your routine. That sounds That's cool. what my buddy does. Her and her partner, they walk their goats. They have <laughs> little pink collars on and they walk them. <laughs> That is so, it is very, very cute. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, we have a lot of options. All right. Well, any more questions or what you guys got? Well, I mean, not prepared. Okay. I know we'll have more. <laughs> well, anytime. No, you're no, yeah. Good. I hope it was useful. And yeah, we'll send you those resources we were talking about, the holistic management. And then another book that we always recommend is Gaia's Garden. And because it talks about those guilds in great detail. And it also okay. tells you about if you're if you're missing specific nutrition, then there are specific things you can plant to try to get that nutrition back in your soil. So um, a lot of times we try to add fertility by adding things like lime or or other additives that you know the extensions office will tell us. But you really can do more by adding plants than you can by any any application of one of those single uses. So um, yeah, we'll give you the links to those two resources as well, and in the show notes. So yay. Okay. But thank you, Erica and Bart. It was so fun to talk to you. Yeah. Thank you. You too. I'm really excited to see your, you got to keep us informed, sending us pictures and whatnot of all your new adventures. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> awesome. Thanks so much. All right. You guys we'll have a good later. day. Thank you. Hey, you guys, thank you so, so, so much for all the ratings and reviews you gave us through a giveaway last week. It was so much fun to hear from you and just read those words. Very encouraging. I hope you really are enjoying it as much as you said you were. And I hope you continue to do so and share and comment and rate and review if you haven't already. But we have some really fun giveaways to announce today to those people who participated. First, Every single person who participates gets access to our exclusive Holistic Homestead Workshop, which is going to be a phenomenal opportunity for you to really focus in on your goals and get prepared for building your perfect holistic homestead, whether it's an urban, small little piece in the city or on up to a bigger plot, or maybe you're still just dreaming of your holistic homestead. We are going to help you create a plan and help you start executing that plan to your live your fullest homesteading lifestyle. But let me go through these prizes. We had these incredible prizes. Let me go through those really quickly. Sayonara Herrera Brejas, you are the lucky winner of the five-hour school week book. We'll get that to you ASAP. Danielle T, congratulations. You won our the bootstrap farmer seed trays and seed starting set. They are the best. Congratulations. Adele, I'm super excited. You won the seeds, the coal season seed pack from So True Seed. Really amazing prize. Amanda Marceau won I Belong Here, a copy of my book that I wrote. And I'm actually going to go ahead and include a free 30-minute strategy session. So make sure that you get that scheduled. And then Erin DeVette, you won the holistic gardening package. So that means a workshop and a set of oils to help you in your garden. Really valuable set. Congratulations, Erin. Dryer ball set goes to Brittany Sewell. Congratulations. I cannot wait to get that package in the mail to you, Brittany. Dryer balls are super fun and they're made from our very own sheep. 
And then lastly, we have Naomi Ferguson won Fireweed Coffee, fresh roasted coffee from a local brew, brewer in our area. I'm really excited to get that to you. I hope you all really are enjoying the podcast as much as you said you were in your reviews. We appreciate you so much and hope you continue to listen and connect with us.